Welcome to the podcast for We Hope Glasgow. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this message from Sunday. May it be a blessing to you today. All right, good morning. Um, do you know what's funny? It's just crossed my mind just now. When I was in Portland in, in America, uh, the pastor there showed a picture of, of our church and, and of this pulpit here. And, and he, sa- he said to their church, when I was at Rehope in Glasgow, they, they had me speak in this tower they have in, in their church. <laughs> and I'd never thought of it like a tower. <laughs> um, so obviously it's just the pulpit, but now that's just in my mind when I come up here. I'm like, oh, I get to stand in the tower and preach. <laughs> so just to put that thought in your mind. Uh, good morning. I, I'm Ruth. I'm, I'm here to teach today on intercession or intercessory prayer. Um, and, and this is kind of halfway through a prayer series that we've got going on here just now. Um, so if you're visiting with us today, welcome. Uh, let me fill you in. We're doing a 50-day prayer challenge where between Easter and Pentecost, uh, for 50 days, we're encouraging each other to, to step out with prayer, you know, to, to lean in in a lifestyle of prayer. And, and to help you do that, we've got a, a 50-day blog going on um, with voices from lots of different people in our church here and in Belfast. Um, so every day there's a blog with some sort of encouragement about prayer. And then, yeah, we're just asking you to have a go yourself to, to do something prayer-wise, to, to lean in and see what God's going to do through that. So um, before I start today, I, I, I wanted to uh, highlight something that I feel like God was speaking to me about to do with this prayer series. And I feel like uh, there's maybe been an enemy agenda to put um, a filter over this series and, and maybe limit and steal a little bit from what God really wants to do through it. And that is the filter of uh, religion or a religious attitude to prayer. And let me tell you what I mean by this. So the voice of religion says, you should do this because this is just what you're meant to do. Or you should be a praying person because that is what Christians do. Or uh, you'll be worthy of, of meeting with God and having all these experiences with him if, if you can just be a praying person. And actually, I think that that steals from the freedom and, and the joy of what God really wants uh, for us as praying people. The, the voice of truth, who we know as Jesus, right? The way, the truth, and the life. The voice of truth would say, do this because you love me and I love you whether you pray or not. So you can take part in the prayer challenge. You can, you can lean in with a lifestyle of prayer, um, but just do it out of a heart of wanting to know God not because you have to do it and not because we're going to earn anything out of that. And so I hope that with this, as we go into it, um, we can lay down any guilt or shame if you're thinking, oh yeah, at church every Sunday they talk about prayer and this prayer challenge and I'm just not the kind of person that is organized enough to ever get around to doing that. Or, or maybe the perfectionist voice that's like, I've, I've tried that and I've not been good at it, so why should I even try? Like, can we just set those thoughts to the side? And as we talk about intercession, uh, let's approach this with more like a curiosity of like, uh, why should I want to pray? Like, why could this be really good? And why could this be really life-giving? Rather than what are the reasons that I really ought to be doing this? Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. Um, So that's my hope. That's my heart as we talk about intercession. It's about a two-way relationship between us and God. It's not just another job that we're meant to get done. So I'm going to start by praying. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God of freedom. And Lord, that you you have loved us uh, since before we knew you. Lord, you died for us while we were still sinners. 
So Lord, I pray that as uh, we talk about intercession this morning, that there would be a spirit of freedom, a spirit of joy. Um, and Lord, that you would teach us more about you through this. In Jesus' name. Amen. So two weeks ago um, at church while Crooksy was speaking on how do we pray, I had a revelation uh, from God about how he wants me to view my prayer times, and I'll tell you about it. So I felt like God was speaking to me and saying, Ruth, I want you to view prayer as an opportunity to to host my presence, uh, to be hospitable to me. And uh, hosting people, that, that's something that speaks to me because I love having people over. Like, uh, I'm one of these people that just loves an opportunity to have people around, whether it's for dinner or, or to stay over or hosting people who've, who've come from somewhere else. And um, I love that, but I also know the amount of work that goes into getting ready for people to come over, which I'm sure some of you all know. Uh, you know, you need to like clear off all the toys in the living room and uh, clean the bathrooms and, and probably do a bit of like scheduling, which I'm not very good at, <laughs> you know, like plan in advance. When's a good time to come over? Are you free then? Are you free then? Um, and it takes a lot of work to host people, but you do this because, or at least for me, like I want people to feel welcome when they come over. I want people to arrive in my home and think, oh, like, this place is ready for me and this person wants me to be here and, and that's going to help this quality time be actual quality time. And so I felt like God was challenging me two weeks ago. Uh, Ruth, I want you to think of your prayer times as an opportunity to have me over, to, to invite in my presence, to be hospitable to me. And so um, with that, I've, I've been thinking about that. I've done some things practically. Uh, usually I have my prayer times um, or, or there's like always laundry hanging in this room. This is just that room that no one needs to see. And that happens to be the room that I do most of my prayer times in as well because I can just go in and shut the door and, and not be disturbed. But I felt challenged since two weeks ago to actually tidy up this room and, and think mentally, like, what if I was having God over to meet with me here and, and, and to make him feel welcome, make him feel like I'm ready for him and I want him to be here. So I've been doing that and I've, I've been clearing up and making space. Um, so why has God asked me to do this? <laughs> I don't think God is asking me to do this because he needs a tidy spot to meet us in. But I think God, God is everywhere. He, he can meet us anywhere we want to meet him. He, he'll meet us walking in the street, driving in the car, wherever. But I think he's teaching me about a mindset that he wants me to have when I pray. And that is that he is real, he is personal, um, and he wants us to have a really good time together an interactive time that's not just me talking at him. It's not just me listening to him either. It's two-way, and, and it's meant to be quality. So that's, that's my personal prayer challenge <laughs> during this time, is having this attitude of, of hosting the presence of God, of being hospitable to him as we pray. And, and from that, there, there's so much more life. It's, it's not as much the, I ought to do this, I should really do it. It's more like, oh no, I want to do this. I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you about these things that are on my heart and, and hear what's on your heart for these things. So as we talk about intercession and intercessory prayer, let's put it in that box, that relationship with God, that, that meeting with him. So intercession. Uh, this is, to me, this is one of those Christian words that Christians use. Um, and maybe some of us know what we're talking about when we say intercession and other people are maybe like, wait, what's that? <laughs> um, when I first heard the, the term intercessory prayer, I thought that sounded a bit like some sort of computer processing terminology. Or, or just something that I actually don't know what that is, but I've heard of that. Um, so, so let's start with looking at this word. There's, there's intercession, which is that, that prayer thing that people do. There's intercessory prayer, which is also that prayer thing that we do. 
Uh, there's the verb to intercede, which is what I, you, he, she, it, they, we all do with that prayer thing. And then there's the intercessor, which is that person who does that prayer thing, yeah? So you might have heard these in different contexts. So we'll start with what all wise people do when they're looking for a definition. Um, here's what came up when I typed intercession into Google on my phone. So we've got intercession. One, the action of intervening on behalf of another. Like, he only escaped ruin by the intercession of his peers with the king. Yeah? So, like, intervening. Um, I thought it was cool that Google on my phone brought up prayer as the second definition. I didn't expect that. So it says, the action of saying a prayer on behalf of another. Prayers of intercession. Yeah? Maybe it's more of a known term than I thought. <laughs> so if prayer is communication with God intercessory prayer is like those kinds of prayers where you're, you're lifting up a, pr a person or a situation uh, before God and, and praying on their behalf, asking him to move, asking him to intervene in that. Yeah, so actually a lot of our prayers are intercessory prayers. So that's what Google says. Let's go a little bit deeper and see what the Bible says about intercession. So taking, for example, 1 Timothy 2.1 which says, first of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. So the word intercession, as it appears here, uh, in the Greek is intuxis. Okay, I don't speak Greek, so uh, if people here are Greek scholars, you can make fun of me later, but I'll do the best with what I've read on the screen. So intuxis is a petition, prayer, or intercession. It refers to petitions or intercessions and seeks to act only as the Lord directs, i.e. following his will to act at his extended hand. So properly intervention or intersection, which literally hits the mark, intervention led by God, making intersection between heaven and earth as it reflects the Lord's specific will. And what stands out to me here in this definition is that, that bit, intersection, which literally hits the mark. Okay, how did we move from intercession being it's prayers on behalf of another to, okay, it's prayers that literally hit the mark? Like, where did that come from? Okay, another word here in Greek that's used for intercession, intukano, uh, and, and taking from it the tukano bit, see that? That literally means to strike or to, to hit the bullseye. And interestingly, this word in classical Greek is like the antonym to the word that's used for sin. The word for sin is hamartia, which is to miss the mark, or sin. So if sin is like rebellion to God's ways, or like in any way stepping out of alignment with what is God's heart, his hopes, his plans for us, that, that's sin, that's missing the mark. Then intercession is like the kind of prayers where we are seeking what is the mark, what is the target, what is God's hopes and plans, and, and what does he really want to happen here? And then praying in alignment so that that would come into being. So when the Bible talks about intercession, it's more than just like prayers on behalf of another, it's actually like seeking what is the target? What are we asking God to do and what do we want to see him ha see happen here? The kind of prayer where we seek God's heart, will or target and agree with it in prayer so that he can move accordingly. Intercessory prayer is not just like uh, a checklist that I've got that I send up to God to remind him the work that he should be doing right? Um, or, or like the spiritual gun that shoots down demons with our prayers. Uh, it's so much more than that. 
It's time spent being a host, being hospitable to the presence of God because he is personal. And then seeking his heart and, and just agreeing, asking him, yeah, Lord, would your kingdom come to earth? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's a lot of examples of this in, in the Bible. When you read about uh, godly people who, who knew God, who were in relationship with God, it just seems like throughout the Bible, people have a lifestyle like this. Uh, I think of Abraham uh, pleading to, to God to save the righteous in Sodom. I think of Moses and Aaron and her uh, praying as the Israelites are battling against the Amalekites. And uh, as they pray, as they hold up their hands, the Israelites are winning and God helps them, God delivers them. Think of David, like, just read the Psalms. <laughs> like, all the Psalms are, are this kind of attitude of, like, getting with God in his presence, seeking God, what is your heart, and asking God, look, here's what I want to see happen on behalf of this situation, please. Would you break through? Would you deliver? Uh, but I want to look at uh, an example of intercession that's more on a, on a very personal, individual level. And this is Hannah in 1 Samuel. So to give you some background story, Hannah is married to Elkanah, she doesn't have any children, and she would love to have a child. And the Bible says that year after year, she and her husband and her husband's other wife um, would go up to the temple every year to worship God. And year after year, she was still the childless woman who wanted to have children. And that was deeply painful for her to, to go back, back time and time again with the same prayer request. But Hannah didn't give up on God. The Bible says that even in her anguish, even though she was to the point where she couldn't eat anything, uh, she was distraught and heartbroken over this situation, she still prayed and she still asked God to intervene. First Samuel 1, 10 to 11 says this, deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, Remember and not forget me and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And in the next chapter, we read Hannah finally did have a son. And when he was old enough, she, she released him to, to serve the Lord. And he grew up to be the prophet Samuel and had an amazing call on his life. So here's some things I see in this story. Firstly, Hannah stayed close to God, even in her pain. She didn't give up on God. She still came to him and asking him to intervene. But yet somewhere along the way, something stirred in her uh, to the point where I think that God uh, not only heard her heart, but downloaded a bit of his heart to her of what he wanted of her son's life. And I think that um, there's something about her unanswered prayer over the years that her heart got stirred in the way. And, and I think it's significant that when she makes this vow to God, when she says, God, I will give this child to serve you. Then we see the breakthrough and then we see God uh, moving her in that way. And, and the significance of what God does through Samuel's life is huge. And I think this is an example that sometimes time spent in prayer is not only fighting the battle in the spiritual to, to see breakthrough, but it's also an opportunity to, to get in line with what is God's target in this situation? What is on his heart to see happen through this? So that when it happens, when it breaks through, we're ready to walk accordingly with his will and what it is that he wants to do. And sometimes I wonder whether prayers go unanswered for a season 
for this reason, so that we will draw near to God's heart and we will find out what that thing is. Not always, there's other reasons for unanswered prayer, uh, but, but that's certainly one I see there. So that's a situation where, um, you know, Hannah's heart was that she would, she would have a baby. And I think that God's heart was that all along. But then in that time of intercession and, and prayer and, and not giving up on God, it's like he, he downloaded a bit more of his heart to her and she was able to walk that out and, and we see the impact of that. But sometimes intercession doesn't start like that. Uh, sometimes it starts with something that was never actually our heart to begin with, but it's like God just downloads a burden on us, something that's on his heart and he wants us to carry it in prayer. Uh, Paul in Romans 9 says, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And he's talking here about the Jewish people and how he just deeply wants them to know Jesus. And I think this is an example of what it's like to, to carry that emotional weight to see something that's on God's heart actually come into reality. And I'm not going to talk a lot about this point, but I will say this. If you're the kind of person who reads the news or, or maybe hears stories from other people of things that are going on and just find yourself like deeply weighed down by some of the things that you hear to the point that you think about it and you're thinking about it at night and, and you maybe just feel like deeply burdened for it. If that's you, I would suggest you start by, by asking God, God, are you asking me to be an intercessor? For this situation like have you given me an assignment to be someone who holds this situation up in prayer and fights the, the spiritual battle through prayer to see your breakthrough in it that could be what it is so if that's you pray about it maybe not maybe it's something else but if you're feeling that burden pray about it here's a question i'd expect when when we're talking about about god's heart and prayer if intercession is just praying in line with god's heart then What's the point? Like, if God wants it to happen, surely he can just make it happen anyway. Why does he need to wait for us to agree with him? Here's why I think this is. Uh, because God has created the world in such a way that he, he's given us an invitation to join in with him and his mission here on earth. You see, he created people to love him, to know him. Uh, but one of the ways that we get to know him best is by actually joining hands with him and working in him, working with him. In, in the things that he's doing here on earth. And, and we see this on a practical level. Like, we all have a choice in our lives when we see situations before us. Like, am I going to step out and I'm going to do uh, what God would do in this? Am I, am I going to show love in this situation? Am I going to do something practically to help this person? You know, we've got a choice if we're going to do that or not. We don't have to do that, but, but we can. And I think it's exactly the same in prayer. Like, there is a spiritual battle that God has given us an invitation to join him in if we want, but he's not going to make us do that because he wants us, if we're joining him, to actually do it out of a heart of wanting to do it. He's not a controlling God. He's not a manipulating God. He's saying, here, if you come with me and, and bring your heart before me and, and listen to my heart, we can do powerful things through this, but, but that's up to you if you want to do this or not. And that's why I think there's some prayers, there's some things in the world that if we pray, will break through, and if we don't pray, they might remain stuck. It's up to us. So since we've looked at what intercession is, why we do it, um, I want to talk now about some, some of the evidence that this can literally change the world. And we're going to look at this from history. 
I find this exciting. I'm not a historian, so I'm sure I'll get lots of helpful feedback from people who've studied these things more than I have, but let me tell you what I know about some of these stories. Uh, let's look at revival and reawakening. Like, I have never yet come across a story of revival or reawakening that didn't start with God's people rediscovering a heart for prayer. Like prayer just seems to follow uh, any massive breakthrough in that way. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, when Stuart started this series, he talked about Lewis, the Isle of Lewis. Have we got it? There we go. Um, and the revival that happened there in the 40s and the 50s. So we've got in this story, uh, Peggy and Christine Smith, two old ladies who I think one of them was disabled and one of them was blind. So they struggled to make it to church on a Sunday. But they were women with God's heart and, and they lifted up their heart to God of what they wanted to see him do in their island. And the Holy Spirit broke through. He heard their prayers and, and the whole island basically came to know Jesus in a very short space of time. So that's the Lewis story. Um, I want to talk about a couple different ones. Let's talk about the Moravians. And I don't know how many people here have heard of the Moravians, but I'll tell you. So Count Zinzendorf, German guy. He uh, was this wealthy, godly man uh, who, who owned a whole bunch of land. Um, apparently, he was one of these guys who just like loved God. Like, like when he was a six-year-old child, he was like writing love letters to Jesus and stuff like that. Um, but he, he just loved God, and he had this this heart, this burden for for the people for whom no one else cared. You know, for the poor, the afflicted, the oppressed. He just wanted to see God's love break through in these people. And so in 1722, a bunch of Moravians showed up and, and asked to settle on his land. So, so who are the Moravians? Okay, let's get the next map up here. Uh, Moravia, oh sorry, so this is Herrenhut, Germany, is where Zinzendorf was. Moravia, the next one, um, is in modern-day Czech Republic, but this was, this was a region of that back then. Um, and, and a lot of Moravians had to leave their land because of persecution. And so they sought Zinzendorf and, and they asked him, could we settle and, and start a new life here in your estate? And so he welcomed them in. Um, and yeah, the story goes on the 13th of August, 1727, after a baptism and communion service, the Holy Spirit broke through in their community in a way that they hadn't seen before. And all these people in the room from, from different denominations, different backgrounds, um, in a community that was known for division and for bickering and for talking about each other and uh, what was good and what was not good about each other, suddenly it's like the Holy Spirit broke through and, and they forgave each other for their differences. And they committed to love each other in a spirit of unity, uh, grounded in the same love that they have for the same Jesus, even if they express him differently. And from that place, from that, that, that time of, of committing to unity, they started a 24-hour prayer movement. Um, and in this, they were strategic. They, they took hour-long slots in the day, and then they took turns so that for one hour, someone would be praying and, and asking God to bring reawakening and revival, and then the next hour, someone else would be praying, and, and so on and so on, so that 24 hours a day, all day and all night, there was someone praying and crying out for God to move in the land and, and bring reawakening and revival. And as a result of that, within a year of them starting that, their town, Hernhut in Germany, experienced a mass revival and pretty much everyone became Christians. And this was the, church, the town that was famous before for being divided and for bickering. They all came together. And the prayer movement didn't stop there when they saw a revival in their town. Uh, this prayer movement actually lasted for 125 years. So this is 125 years of uninterrupted prayer and worship and uh, petitioning, interceding to God, asking him to break through. 
uh, as a result of that, like incredible things happened worldwide. So um, I think I've got a map of, yeah. So, so this shows all the places where missionaries from this Moravian community in Hernhut went out around the world to bring the gospel. And we're talking the 1700s here. Like this isn't like gap your life where you just get a flight and go somewhere. Like for people to go from Germany to all these places, this was like you're putting your life on the line because you believe that God is asking you to do this and he's going to break through. This is huge, the impact they had. But they were a community who, uh, they, they were fueled by the sense of like, we want to host God's presence. We're, we're going to bring before him uh, our, our prayers and requests and we're going to receive from him his heart and his strategies and his hope to, to, to break through in this world for the poor, the oppressed, the afflicted, all the people that no one else cares for. Like that's what motivated them. Uh, one of my favorite stories of the Moravians impact in the world um, is one of, uh, so, so there's this guy, I think his name was Anton, he was a slave actually for the king of Denmark and, and he became a Christian and Zinzendorf baptized him and, and then he asked, can I come to, to your community in Hernhut and, and meet your Moravian praying people? Um, and, and so he came and, and he said to this community, he said, I'm, I'm from where was it? St. John, the West Indies, Caribbean. And, and the people that I come from, they don't know Jesus and they don't know the love and the life that they could have with God. So would anyone from your community be willing to go to my homeland and tell them the good news? So they prayed about it and a couple of missionaries, a wee group of them decided we're going to go, we're going to do this. So they went to St. John. And at that point, the Anglican church did actually exist on the island, but it had never broken through. The, the gospel of Christ had never broken through to, to the slaves, to the black people, because there was all these like racial borders in, in, in this, this culture. Just that wasn't done. And so the, the message that Moravians brought actually managed to break through that. And they raised up um, a sense of worth and, and purpose in, in the slave community. So they had churches where black and white people could sing and praise God together. And they raised up black leaders and black preachers and they gave them a voice again because that is what they believed that God wanted for those people. And that was so unusual in those days and yet God broke through what was normal because they'd been led by him in that. They also had a whole prayer force of like 24 hour prayer going on behind them, praying as they went. So, so the spiritual battle was covered. But yeah, like time spent in prayer, it's gonna give us God's heart, it's gonna give us breakthrough, it's gonna give us the strategies of what's really gonna work. So that's, that's the Moravians. I want to talk about one night that is a bit closer to home and a lot longer ago. So let's look at Bangor, Northern Ireland. Is anyone here from Bangor? Yes. When I first started coming to Rehope over 10 years ago, everyone was from Bangor. <laughs> like, do you remember that, Victoria? Like, everyone was from Bangor. And every time I met someone from Bangor, I was like, oh, have you heard about the prayer house in Bangor? And everyone was like, what? No, we have an abbey. Do you mean the abbey? <laughs> no. Okay, let me tell you about Bangor. This is like 500, 600, 700, 800 AD. This is a long, long time ago. So this is what I do know about this. St. Patrick, he was not Irish. He was an English guy who was enslaved in Ireland and then set free. But then he went back to England as a missionary and he brought God's amazing work to Ireland. And one day he prophesied over Bangor. He said he saw a vision of this like open heaven and angels coming down and light and singing and praise. And he said, one day in this land, God is going to use this place, kind of like an open heaven, where he pours out his heart and his life. And this is going to be used to be a light to the rest of the world. And it's going to go out elsewhere. That's why uh, I think Bangor's got the nickname like Valley of Angels or something, because St. Patrick saw that. So 100 years after that, 
there's this guy, St. Comgill, whose name I'm probably saying wrong, but St. Comgill, uh, he came along and he said, I want to fulfill what St. Patrick saw, and I'm going to start a this place, this community, we have a house of prayer, worship, and we're going to educate people to be able to read God's word and, and to get to know him, to study who he is through the word. And so he set up this whole community and it looked something like, I think I've got a picture of it. Um, so this is like a, a little model. Of, they had these little prayer huts um, and they're like scattered all around. And, and they did this on like a well bigger scale than the Moravians did. So the Moravians took hour long slots to take the turn and pass the torch in prayer. No, the, the Bangor monks, they, uh, they took eight hours at a time. And they had a thousand people who prayed for eight hours, and then a thousand people who prayed for the next eight hours, and then a thousand people who prayed for the next eight hours. So there was like 3,000 people in this community just like pouring out and like, um, not just prayer, but like everything I've read about it is like, it was like sung worship, like music, praying and worshiping God nonstop. And this lasted for 300 years. So this is well longer than the Moravians. What are the things that came out of this movement? Loads of things. Uh, firstly, St. Columba, who brought the team to Scotland uh, to bring Christianity to Scotland for the first time. Like, we can thank the prayer house in Bangor for Christianity coming to this nation. Isn't that amazing? Uh, one of my favorite missionary stories from the Bangor prayer house is St. Aidan. St. Aidan felt burdened by God to bring the gospel to northern England, what's nowadays um, Northumbria. And he, um, yeah, in those days, like, Christianity had come up through England after the Roman Empire, but it kind of got to the north of England, and then it just stopped, and they decided, actually, these people, like, their hearts are so hard, they're, like, so off the wall that there is no way that we can evangelize to them, and, and God's not going to be able to break through there. So the north of England and into Scotland, there wasn't any Christianity, any, any knowledge of God there. Uh, but St. Aidan felt called to these people in the north of England, and he came in with an unusual missionary strategy for those days, uh, where he didn't just show up and, like, shove the gospel down their throats and tell them to repent. You know, he, like, moved into the land, and he made friends with them. He lived among them. He, he got to know them over time. And when he built up their trust, he shared with them the faith that he had in God. And do you know what? They actually preferred that approach. <laughs> and uh, they became Christians. They got to know uh, who they were in God. And, and then that community became a community that built hospitals and, and schools and orphanages and really cared for the poor and the afflicted all around. And, and it just seems like stories like that follow these Bangor prayer monks, like all over Europe, all over places. Uh, they were going, they were setting up prayer, houses of prayer, of knowing God, but also of, of like caring for the poor and caring for the people who need that message. There's even evidence that monks from this prayer movement made it to North America. This is like 800 years before Columbus went and like discovered America. Um, no, there's like inscriptions on rocks on the East Coast uh, that are from the Bangor monks of, of like Bible verses and stuff. And we don't know what the stories are of how they ended up there and what they even did there. But they must have just got in boats not even knowing there was land but following God and they made it to America to, to bring the gospel. Isn't that crazy? All that to say, uh, looking at these people in history who've taken seriously the power of intercession, not just on an individual level in our own lives, but actually like coming together in community to do this, it is just incredible the huge impact that it's had in the world in, in like giant ways to break cultural norms, to, to reach the unlost, to care for people who need it. And I want to make one more observation on, on the banger, the prayer people. Uh, so looking at these pictures again, so that's St. That's Aidan, and then St. Columba, was he the one before? Could it be 
that we can expect significant, world-changing, kingdom-impacting work from people with receding hairlines. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, can I make that observation here and, and just give a word of encouragement to anyone who is losing their hair or balding? Like, I'm just saying what I see in history. Let's be encouraged by those who've gone before us. And on the topic of godly men with receding hairlines, here's Pastor Josh of um, Belfast, dressed as a banger monk in banger. <laughs> um, so they, they've recreated the prayer houses in banger, and I just think it's awesome. So that's, that's an example of the little prayer huts that they would have been in, and Josh is so kindly dressed up as what they might have looked like in these days. So that's just for fun. <laughs> All that to say, let's talk about Scotland. And where we're at now, where we want to be. God says in Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So allow yourself to dream for a second. What would a reawakened Scotland look like? What about Glasgow? What would Glasgow look like, not just in revival, but post-revival? Here's what I think. Right now, Glasgow is famous for being dark, for being rainy, uh, for being culturally diverse, although entirely divided in that. Um, and we also boast our sky-high crime statistics, right? But what do you think is on God's heart for this city we live in? I think in a reawakened Glasgow, uh, people would come alive again with like a sense of new joy as they find out who God created them to be and the destiny that he has for them. I already think that Glasgow has the best humor in Scotland. Like, do you not think the funniest people in Scotland come from Glasgow? And I can say that because I'm from Edinburgh. <laughs> and I bet you can't name one comedian that came out of Edinburgh. No, it's in the fringe. It's not Edinburgh people there. It's people come from elsewhere. Anyway. I think there's new joy and new freedom that comes in Reawaken Scotland. Uh, I think God wants to reverse the, the, this reputation that Glasgow has and go from being a, a place that is dark and wet to actually being a source of life and light for the rest of the world. Like imagine this, if revival happens in Glasgow on a large scale, like we've got this whole city of people with broken pasts, who've experienced injustice, who've been hurt, who have broken families, who are stuck in addiction. And like, there's this, all this horrible stuff that people have suffered from here in Glasgow. Now imagine if all these people found God, found love in him, found freedom in him, their life was transformed, they became who he created them to be. Like they're not gonna forget their past. They're not gonna forget where they came from. And these are gonna be people of compassion, people who wanna bring mercy, people who wanna fight for injustice in the world and actually make a difference because they've experienced it personally. So I think Reawaken Glasgow could be not just people getting saved, but actually a center where people can come and find refuge, where there's organizations for transformation, for new life, for a second chapter, for starting again when life is just like falling down on you. And then I imagine that from a Reawaken Glasgow, we would be sending out people to fight in the injustices of the world. Like people that are like, I'm gonna go against human trafficking and I'm gonna set up organizations that make that stop. Or I'm going to meet the problem of, of poverty and world hunger and I'm going to put in my efforts to, to, to see that that doesn't have to happen on earth anymore. I think God's heart for Glasgow 
is so much more than we could even imagine right now, and it doesn't need to stay where it is. And I'm sure you've all got ideas yourselves as well of uh, what you would love to see God do in our city, what could come out of this, this place. And that's why I want to see a full-time prayer house set up here in Glasgow. And I think in Glasgow, we already have a body of Christ who believes in prayer, who is reawakened to the power of prayer. But as far as I know, we don't yet have um, a 24-hour non-stop prayer and worship house. Like, it, it comes and goes in seasons. Sometimes they, they get organized here or there or here or there, and it, it never really, like, sticks as one thing. But I'll tell you one of my prayer requests. So when we are praying for more space for Rehope, for this building, like, what I'm praying for, is, I'm saying, God, please, would you provide for us a, a building that's big enough to accommodate the vision that you've given us as Rehope? And in addition to that, would you give us space in this new facility so that we could have a full-time prayer and worship space that anyone in Glasgow could use? Like not Rehope specific, but just body of Christ specific. Like come in, let's strategize in, in, in prayer and in seeking God and asking his heart to intervene in our land. That's what I'm praying for, for new space. You can pray with me for that if you want to, because I think that'd be amazing. How do we start a prayer movement like this? Okay, it's got to start in our own hearts. It's got to start with us. And maybe that means uh, making some time, some space in your own life to, to get that time. Not praying because we're meant to do that, but praying because we want to bring our heart before God and we want to receive his heart for this land and ask him to intervene. Maybe it means coming along to the prayer things that are already existing. Like we do pre-service prayer uh, before every church service here, not because it's just like a good thing to do, but because we really believe in it. Like we pray not just for this service, but we, we turn around and we face out and, and we pray that God would move in this city and in this land. So please, like if you want to, come along, not because you feel guilty about it, but because this is powerful, this is important. If you know of prayer things that are going on in Glasgow that I don't know about, I would ask, could you post it on I Attend Rehope? Because I would love to see us be a community who are excited about prayer and who are hearing about the things that are going on so that we can actually go to them and, and join hands with the body of Christ and uh, join in God's invitation to pray. This is something that God is never going to make us do because he loves us. But there is potential within this invitation if we want to, to join hands in, with him and to see him do incredible things, not just for the now, but for the future in Glasgow, in Scotland, and even beyond around the rest of the world. Like, imagine what could happen. I'm going to give you some challenges. Number one, what practical changes could you make to your lifestyle to make time and space to host God's presence, seek his heart, and ask him to intervene on earth? Think about it. Number two, Accept God's invitation to advance his kingdom through intercessory prayer. Just have a go. Like, don't overthink this. Prayer is just talking to God. Bring your heart to him. And then number three, these books are amazing. Read Red Moon Rising or Dirty Glory by Pete Gregg. This guy started the 24-7 prayer movement in Britain. Like, I've been talking about history. I've been talking about Bangor and the Moravians and Lewis. Uh, but this is going on right now. And this is happening not just in the UK, but actually around the world. So read these stories and you will be encouraged by the miracles, by the breakthrough, by the incredible things that are actually going on right now.